Welcome back, everybody. It's David and Mike in the morning. I'm Mike. And I'm David. And we're in the morning. Um, today is uh, February 21st, Thursday morning. Um, we have, uh, we're excited that you're here listening uh, to us. Um, we'd first like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Vinod Venkatarman. Vinod, thanks for listening to us. Um, we know that you love driving your Porsche. Um, thanks for sponsoring us. Thanks a bunch. So our main topic for today is about learning. Yeah. Um, Mike, how do you learn? Uh, I think that's a, a, a really, um, profound question, David. So thanks for asking that. Um, uh, I think... <laughs> It's such an open question. Yeah. So let's um, try to make it uh, a little bit more uh, focused for now. It's a great um, idea. And then we could uh, uh, open it up for okay. uh, a broader discussion. Um, but uh, I was uh, reading this book. Um, I've actually mostly finished it now, but uh, it's called, I think, now I forget what it's called. I think it's called Fluent Forever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically a book that is teaching you a method, a new method for learning a, a foreign language um, really quickly. Mm. Um, and so one of the techniques that they talk about is um, this thing called SRS, which is a spaced repetition system. Um, and it's the idea of uh, uh, you first learn something, um, like so say with like flashcards, you have like uh, sort of three rounds, um, you learn something real quickly, and once you learn it, you move into the next the next pile, which is then like spaced further out from where you're supposed to, to to see it again. And then the next pile beyond that, after you're done with that, then you move it um, into into the last round, which is then you see it like in like longer cadences. Um, and so uh, I think the the book actually explores a lot of really interesting ideas um, uh, related to learning a foreign language that I think are unorthodox or just not like your typical way that you would think of learning a language. Um, uh, uh, SRS being one of them. The other being that um, uh, you shouldn't use as a crutch um, translations. Um, I see. So um, like all your flashcards should be uh, pictures okay. and um, the, the target language that you're supposed to learn it, only in that language. So it's supposed to be like how one would naturally learn a language when they're young and have no other form of language to use? Um, yeah, and it's also, um, it, you, it's trying to skip that layer of uh, uh, indirection of like trying to translate into English first mm. or your native language and then the target language. And also using, um, they also talked about this in another book I keep referencing, which is like Moonwalking with Einstein, which is about like memory and the fact that like vivid images are, are a lot uh uh, will stick in your mind a lot better than just like rote memorization. Um, so they tr they try to like okay when you pick images um, to use that to um, uh, make it like a really vivid image. Um, so that like something exploding or like someone dying or so, so, like something going on rather than like a boring image so that you can it'll help you remember. So you've talked about two different things already. One is the spaced repetition, and the other is using images or uh, I guess, things that are not a language itself to convey how to interpret a new language. Um, 
For the latter, have you ever used Rosetta Stone software? No, I have not. Okay. Uh, so my alumni association provided it for free, and uh, I tried using it, uh, and it basically throws you right into the mix uh, where you are shown pictures. I think it starts with hello, like you know, someone saying hello, someone saying goodbye, uh, and then you have to pair up the phrases in that language with the pictures. Uh, eventually, it, it's generally like a two-by-two two that they'll show you, and you use some amount of deduction and some amount of, um, uh, you know, uh, context that you've learned from previous images to figure out what the new ones are and some trial and error. Um, the, the thing I was going to say is I did not find this particularly effective uh, myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I find... Uh, so I started using Duolingo. Um, that was somewhat effective uh, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. uh, and you do basically have, you can translate pieces of sentences if you need to, uh, but it's a completely different method. But I, I found that it was stickier. I see. Uh, but my newest thing I've been okay. doing, which I do find very useful, is uh, watching like movies or TV shows and seeing how people actually use the language in context as opposed to uh, learning it in a bubble. And I find that that makes it very hard for it to stick, basically. Uh, and, and also, it's, it's very disappointing when you learn something in a vacuum and then you go and talk to someone and they say something like, we never say that, yeah. right? So uh, part, part of the problem uh, with how they, how they teach with these kind of systems is... The, the frequency that you see something is basically proportional to how often you f forget it or didn't learn it rather than how often it's used. So um, I'm gonna, I, have, I have things to say on that. Um, uh, so the book that I was reading mentioned, one, to do exactly what you said, like watch movies, watch TV shows, watch uh, read books, because um, uh, you, then you get the context. But also they said, the like first, you know, 625 words you should learn should be the most commonly used words, um, as opposed to like if you go through like a language book or you go through like a learning program, they'll go through you like a progression, um, and so uh, they actually it's like this whole part of like this uh, like language learning ecosystem that they're trying to sell, but it's like you can get like the top words word list for like various languages, and they say like just learn those. And you actually will cover, it's like a, I don't know, like a parade of distribution or something, right? Like, it'll cover, like, a, a good portion of, like, what you need to have, like, a conversation. Mm. Um, uh, and, uh, like, you'll, then you'll, like, get, you'll be able to get the ball rolling, like, really quickly. Um, but uh, I would like um, to uh, tell our listeners a bit, little bit in terms of, like, explore... Uh, like, what language have you been learning, um, and what has your process uh, been like going through that, um, and, like, how long have you been uh, uh, trying to learn a new language? Sure. So, I've been trying to learn Mandarin, Chinese, and I think I started trying to learn it probably, like, two years ago, but then... Like a lot of things, it kind of I, I started looking at it, then I it dropped off, and then I've been trying to be more um, consistent lately. And I think Duolingo it makes it much easier to be consistent because you just pull out your phone anytime, 
this is way too much information, but basically to with the way I was doing um, Rosetta Stone, you had to go through the, like the alumni portal and then it had to like load and it was just a very cumbersome process. So making it more natural is pretty nice. Um, I think uh, I originally got interested in learning it um, probably because people said it was so hard to learn, mm. right? They just, there's this assumption that, oh, why would you try and learn that? It's so hard. Uh, so I was kind of curious, like, well, how hard could this actually be? Like, what is it? A billion people speak this language or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so what's, what's going on here uh, was kind of interesting to me. Um, and I took Japanese in high school, which I found interesting, but it was a little bit disappointing that you, again, you can't use it in practice that often. I don't run into people who speak Japanese that much. Whereas uh, a lot of people speak Mandarin, so that's kind of uh, makes it more interesting to learn because you might actually be able to use it. Um, so that's uh, that's how I got started there. Um, <clears throat> so um, how how in the two years that you've started learning it, how do you feel like you've progressed? Um, do you think that? Uh, given the amount of, I don't know how much time, like you said, it's been on and on and off. So given the amount of time that you've spent, um, like trying to learn it, do you think that you've um, made significant progress? Do you think you made like, you know, like a commensurate amount of progress to the amount of effort you've put in? Um, how, uh, uh, quote unquote, like efficiently do you think you've been taking in uh, uh, learning? Uh, I, I feel that it has gone pretty slow. Uh, the first year was like not just not useful, I guess, and, and also not consistent. Um, I think lately I've been more consistent. I've been learning more, and I can't, I can't really tell if I'm learning it faster or slower in the sense that you, you get kind of these very small pieces that you can understand that are very easy, uh, and then as you build up, it, it's not really clear to me if I feel like I'm actually learning any faster or it's starting to slow down as things get more complicated. Um, uh, so it, it's kind of hard to know, honestly. I think it's a bit weird. Because, so I don't think I've ever reached a point with a language where I'm comfortable with it, and that makes it very difficult for me to know like how far I have to go. Uh, and how, like, if, I, I, I don't know if I've learned enough that, you know, I could, I could have a reasonable conversation in another year or it would take me five more years. And that's a very strange place to be because just kind of the amount of knowledge you need, uh, to, uh, be satisfied is, is, I, I just don't know. And I've never learned another language to that point. So I, I just have no reference point and it's a little bit weird. Well, so say if you were to, um, like, go to China right now, to go to, like, a, a Mandarin-speaking part of China, mm -hmm. um, uh, we, I'll ask two questions. Is one, would you think you'd be able to, to uh, carry a conversation or have a conversation? Um, conversation being whatever you want to take it to be. Like, you can order food or you can, like, navigate the streets. Um, and or if, if not, how long do you think if you were to live there for, say, like, just not live there, but just like be there for like two to four weeks. Do you th how much do you think you'd pick up, uh, and how much do you think you'd improve? Uh, I think I would improve a lot. I don't think I could carry a conversation, and I wasn't practicing. But when I visited Japan, I was kind of taken aback how much harder it was to use any of my Japanese. 
And part of that's a little bit, I think, just an intimidation because you don't want to sound like an idiot, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I do think you learn a lot faster because, per, you know, I personally find that once you need something, then you suddenly gain this amazing ability to learn it a lot faster than when you're just seeing it for the sake of it, but it has no application. Um, I find that it difficult to do unless it's something I'm naturally good at. Um, hmm. So, you know, I'm more technically minded. So maybe if I see like a, you know, technical manual, I can kind of like parse the information very quickly and kind of just for whatever reason, I'm, I'm better at that. Uh, but with language, I find it much more difficult and I don't just naturally read through tons and tons of information and then it just kind of sticks by itself. I have to kind of have a, a need and an application and then it starts to make more sense to me. See, so um, what you just touched on was like a motivation mm-hmm. for, for learning. Yep. So you think that's a big part about like just taking in, if it, t- like learning, right? Yep. Do you think a lot of it's uh, motivation? Um, yes. Uh, so actually, before the podcast, like last night or the day before, I actually thought a lot, uh, since we had this topic beforehand and we did some planning this time, <laughs> uh, I actually thought about a bunch of different aspects of this. Uh, so let's let's back up one more step, mm-hmm. which is, um, do you think that there is a difference between learning and something like more like memorization also. And what I mean by this is uh, with like a language, especially let's say you're doing flashcards, it it is memorization. You're Mm -hmm. kind of trying to hold as much information as you can, but that information is presented to you. Whereas let's say you're a child and you... I don't know, or just going around the house and then you like touch a hot stove and you discover that it's hot and that you don't like that it's painful and you shouldn't do that again. That feels more like what the semantics of the word meaning are. Mm-hmm. Uh, are these the same thing or are these different? So I, there's a saying, I think, um, what is it? Like memorization is the lowest level of learning. Um, and I, I really actually strongly both agree and disagree with that. And so I'll explain what I mean by that in terms of, um, I actually view memorization as a shortcut to learning in terms of um, a lot of things that uh, I've learned over the years. Um, uh, there, like one memorization comes from the fact that there is knowledge that has already been discovered. Um, so the idea that um, and I'm going to say like Maxwell's equations, right? So something like really complex, right? In terms of like, you know, it was a big discovery when Maxwell like discovered, you know, these four equations that, that like govern like E&M, right? And like... That was one of my favorite classes in college, by the way. Oh, it's one of my least favorite. But like when you first learn them, right, you can't, you have to memorize them be just by nature of like, it is almost too much to understand what they like fully mean because... It, well, yes and no. Uh, so let me give you some okay, counterpoint sure. here, which is, um, for me, since you're going to talk about Maxwell's equations, uh, so there's basically, uh, four, uh, electromagnetism equations that matter if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two of them, de- they describe how charge works and two of them describe how magnetism works. Okay. And you can go and literally memorize the fact that um, 
charge, like pure charge with no, uh, pure static charge. I'm hoping I remember this correctly, <laughs> but I think I am. Pure static charge, it essentially uh, uh, has no curl and it diverges completely is basically the meaning of the equations, okay? Mm -hmm. So you can go and you can go uh, memorize that, you know, like basically the, 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 the actual equation itself, right? Or you can learn, you can memorize the fact that it's describing something that has meaning. And I feel that the latter is going to stay with you longer and that's what I remember. Um, rather than uh, the actual, just like, you know, equation itself. Uh, no, no, I, I, I agree with you. And um, I, I think maybe Maxwell's equations was probably not a good example that I used because I, I just don't know them at this point But uh, my life. But um, uh, I think the fact that um, you have to learn, like, some basic, like, memorization before you can uh, make the connections between pieces of information that you've memorized, right? In terms of you need some basis in order to do some higher level of learning. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if I had prepared, I would come up, I would have actually like sufficient examples of this. Um, but this is, I think, um, like I, I view this a lot, uh, uh, this is how I basically view how I learn is um, you start to memorize things, but then when, or I do at least, I, like. I, I, I view pieces of information, but then um, at some point you're just like walking down the street or wherever you make the connection between things mm -hmm. and you that those connections are actually the basis of like how things stay with you and how, how they learn, how you learn things and also how you discover new things. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, the connections and also the hierarchy of knowledge is important. Like, that to me is one of the key concepts that humans have incorporated to how they think that matters, right? Is like, hi so higher level synthesis mm -hmm. that removes the need to know all the details, right? So, you know, you imagine, I don't know, it's like you can be like stoves are hot mm -hmm. when they're red and glowing, right? As opposed to, I need to know every single stove and whether that one is hot or not, right? If it obeys the same rules and, I guess this is this is also just generalization rather than hierarchy, but uh, there's also, uh, I guess, going back to Maxwell's equations, you you have like these higher level takeaways of like rules, and these rules have you know interactions that mm -hmm. have higher level rules, and then you don't have to remember all the kind of rote details or memorization right. components. Um, <clears throat> so I think that uh, it, anyways, it's it's an interesting distinction. Uh, I don't know if you're saying that by going through a lot of memorization, then you do take these more discovery, like takeaways uh, as a function of memorization of going through that process. But it does still feel distinctly different to things that you um, find on your own and, and, and create your own, like, because not only do you, like, if you're memorizing also, uh, everything is kind of fed to you, whereas if you're learning about something, you also just go out and need to discover it yourself and figure out what you need to know and, and kind of, you know, you, you, you go into the unknown parts of it, if that makes sense. 
Um, y- yeah, I, I, I think it does. Um, I think it's the a basis for, well, I, as a, like, you need to know, like, it's very hard to go discover something new without understanding how something works from a fundamental, like, When level. you say new, you mean new to you or just new in the pantheon of human knowledge? Uh, the latter, right. Okay, well, yeah, so, I mean, that's a very high bar. No, I don't think so at all. Okay. Right. I think, um, one, I'll take a- another example, say, like, computer security, okay. right? Um, uh, in order to understand a, a hack, right, you need to understand how the underlying computer, you need a really fundamental understanding of how like computer systems work, right? So like you, let's say like a buffer overflow attack, right? Or something where you have to understand how like memory layout works, right? And you can sort of um, like memorize, right? Memorize like, or you can just derive from like first principles and then that like derivation, right? And then you like go figure out like, okay, you know, actually if we just like overrun the stack, we can actually end up into like, this part of program memory and force the program to like program count to like jump here, right? So, but are you saying that discovering buffer overflow attacks is learning something new, or are you saying each and every buffer overflow attack is learning something new? I'm saying you can, um, like, there's you can think about it as computation versus like memory trade-off, right? In terms of like, okay, you can immediately be given some memory and understand how, and like, okay, you have a limited amount of memory, right? And that's like the amount that you can memorize and you're given that and you can understand how it works. Uh, And once that clears out, you'll just like forget how it works. And then you, or you can figure out like a, from a piece of memory that you already have, rederive how that works. And I feel like that process of, of rederiving um, leads to a lot of new discovery because, like, going through that process again, um, you know, you well, whatever day, you know, like, whatever you're thinking about, like, you can go to, like, some other new point in time mm-hmm. or point in space where you're like, what if this happened instead, right? Um, and so that's... I mean, at least that's how I think about problems in terms of like, okay, what if we started from here at this point, but then changed something, changed the other assumption and then gone off somewhere here. Does that make sense? Yes, uh, to me. I don't know okay. about our listeners, but I understand you. And I so to boil it down a little bit, do you ever notice how the thing, you, you tend to drop all the other things in your memory, like the details, and you tend to be, you tend to hold on to the takeaways, or like the, the well, I kind of know it's supposed to work like this, but I don't exactly remember how, right? Or if you have some memory from childhood, you probably remember the feeling you had, or the, the kind of, it was a good experience or a bad experience, or if you're sad or happy or whatever, but you're not going to remember if it was 3.14 p.m. on Thursday and it was gray in the sky or the sun was here or something like this. Um, so uh, do you think that uh, your your mind holds on to those things because they're m- more useful? Um, like traumatic childhood memories? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... <laughs> Uh, the, the takeaways rather than the details and the, the things you maybe like learn from the experience rather than the rote memorization of it. Yeah, I think so. I think this goes back to like why, um, we remember like vivid images more, um, in terms of like 
it is just more interesting, right? I think the mind latches onto things that we find more more interesting. I think you maybe asked me this earlier if I was a visual learner or a, like auditory learner or or someone asked me this like within mm-hmm. the last week. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about it, and what's weird is I feel that I don't have a particularly strong visual memory in the sense of, you know, you people say they have photographic memories, mm-hmm. and they can kind of exactly see the picture, and I don't feel like I can do that very well, it, things I try and remember. But it's weird because I also feel like I am a visual learner, uh, but I almost the the my memories are more based in perhaps sound or other aspects and mm. it's very strange to me what how do you learn and how do you remember things so i think it's i think you can both be a visual learner and not have a visual memory right um and i've been doing this a lot recently in terms of i think i learn and uh, uh, sort of view things as uh, 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 visually in terms of like um, like mapping out dependencies or whatever. Like I have to like draw things out and understand like flows of like you know like systems. All your that. examples today are very heavily rooted in engineering. Um, yeah, but I mean we've also been talking about language. Okay. Yeah. Right. Like SRS. Um, I mean that's not just uh, limited to engineering, is it? SRS? It's not. Okay. Yeah. Because, okay. I mean, um, I think I had this conversation with Mergen like a few few weeks ago in terms of he was like, yeah, it's really interesting that because uh, Mergen was, uh, he plays a keyboard or piano. Um, and he's like, yeah, when some piece that you learn in childhood, um, it, it, like you really uh, um, uh, seem to remember it like throughout your life, right? He's like, I can go down and play it and whatever, like any point in life. And I was like, actually, like, uh, it might be a little biased because it, it, it is a little bit like SRS in terms of like every single time you come down to the, down to the keyboard, that's what you play. And then that's just like you reinforcing that memory some point. It, like it's in spaced future. out in, later in time. I, right? I kind of doubt that is the reason uh, myself. I, I think, so I was telling you about this other podcast I was listening to, which was talking about the plasticity of the human brain mm-hmm. and that the... So, you, you know, fundamental uh, assumptions about the brain at this point are uh, it is plastic. It can change, uh, you, you know, your brain, how it thinks, and the structures themselves can change. Uh, and that is generally true. Uh, but it is also true that when you are young, your brain is extremely plastic and extremely malleable. And as you grow up... Um, it is, it's not that you're totally stuck. It's not totally, you can't, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks, but the, the, the structures do take to more of a rigid form. And, uh, one other interesting thing I heard in a different context was that, uh, the connections between the different regions of your brain, which are responsible for different types of cognition, aren't fully connected until later in life. And they said that the, the, the frontal cortex and uh, parts of the rear uh, part of your brain have not fully connected until you're probably in your like mid or late 20s. And what's really interesting there is that 
the the connections that are happening there i think are if i i might get this wrong but they they are connecting things between pieces that govern your self-control and like your your motor you know functions <laughs> and so uh, you know, the implication is that this is why, like, for example, adolescents are, like, more impulsive and mm-hmm. uh, maybe, yeah, I mean, basically impulsive. Uh, you know, it might just go do something that you might think is immature or um, someone who's older would be have more self-restraint. So um, in terms of the things that happen to you when you're a child the theory would be that these have a larger impact on your uh, either cognition or your memories or something because your brain is more uh, adaptable, so the impact is higher. And I think, to me, that's like a much stronger argument uh, than uh, the space repetition part. Um, okay. Uh, I can't say either way um uh i i think that yeah i that actually probably makes that's probably more uh, more of a valid theory i Um, I mean how early would you say your earliest memories are Ooh, um maybe maybe like kindergarten okay i that's later than mine i I would say like three or four ish i also Uh, but then right right, but i mean definitely by kindergarten yeah um which is probably when you are, but w- w- like, it, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like a fixed set of kind of abstract, blurry things, but they just have always been there. And so uh, it's kind of interesting that they've stuck, as I guess, in my mind. Like, and they're, they're, they're kind of random. Like, they don't necessarily have a lot of, uh, utility necessarily, so it's just interesting to me that the that those are those are there and why they're there. And I feel I, like yeah, I've lost memories since then. Sure. I mean, of of that time, oh, I feel like I, I, I the 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 older I get, the, the my earliest memory moves moves back. Mm. Um, but uh, I do want to ask: Is do you think that you are? Um, do you think that you can? Do you think that your ability to learn has gotten better um, over time? Like, do you think that current David oh. is uh, better at learning than, yeah, like, a, David 10 years ago? that's a good question. Ago? And I, I do have another piece I'd like to touch on within this. But um, probably... So my, I'm just going to say something, and then I'll see if it makes any sense. I feel like specific things, yes, but generally no. And what I mean by that is I don't think I learn a broad body of things like I did when I was younger. And part of that's just educational structure, right? Like we just don't go, like I don't spend my work day going to history class and English class and and so on. Um, and, and also part of it probably is just, uh, like, perceived use, right? Like, so, like, Mandarin, like, it, it just, it doesn't really matter if I'm going to learn it or not on a daily basis, right? There's no hmm. uh, impact on my life on a daily basis, whereas there are uh, things that become 
much more frequent and important and are more potentially more complicated, but also potentially more skill-based. Uh, so let's say, um, so like a really dumb example is like taxes, like probably someone becomes really good at their taxes over time because they're like, well, it's like matters for my financial stability and it's very esoteric. It is very complicated. Uh, it's not very broad or applicable, but they're going to like have a reason to understand it at a deeper level than they would otherwise. Um, and I don't think I'm like, I, so I don't think that I'm like gaining a, a breadth of knowledge from doing this, obviously. Um, but I also think that, yeah, it's like actually kind of difficult and challenging and you do uh, like are learning something harder than it would be otherwise. Like imagine trying to like teach, you know, how to understand your W2 to a bunch of high schoolers. They could do it, but they're just, it's also similar. There's no, like, what's the point of this? Like, it has no application to what I care about. Uh, and, and it's also just complicated as well. So um, it's a good, it's definitely a good question. Um, and, uh, and, and there's obviously a component of, uh, you know, in, in I guess, the, the kind of more uh, academic realms, uh, they classify things into exploration, uh, which is, you know, just learning the thing and then an exploitation, which is getting value from the thing. And, uh, you know, I think the kind of straightforward analysis would be that in adult life, you're, you start to go into exploitation, whereas earlier in life, you're doing more exploration. Uh, again, going back to teenagers, they go and try a million different things. They kind of learn who they are and what they like. And then, people tend to stabilize their identity uh, later in life. Um, so uh, so I think, as I said, like I'm not like discovering and learning in a broad sense, but there are some things that I think I'm uh, getting better at and refining in a way that I wouldn't have been otherwise. So like if I was, uh, like there's things I remember when I was like a teenager and I just didn't want to, like, sit down and, like, just kind of uh, grind through it to some level of, uh, you know, excellence or whatever. I was just like, yeah, I kind of understand the basics. Fine. Right. And, and, and then later in life, I'm like, no, I really, really need this. I, like, really am going to, like, work on it. And um, I wouldn't have done that otherwise. So uh, I see two sides to your question. That's interesting for, on your last point because I feel like I'm the opposite. Whereas um, uh, when I was younger, I would uh, figure it, like sit down and grind through something, like figure out all, all the way in, yeah. all the way through. Whereas now when I'm older, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I get it sort of and not like really work out That's how right. it is. Um, uh, so, and, so I'll give yeah. you some examples, sure. right? Like. Uh, so when I was in high school, like I learned guitar and I was willing to just like sit there and, um, kind of just noodle around until I could do what I wanted to do. I think now if I was to do that, I would be much more like structured and methodical in my approach. And I would also not just go and try random things. I would just be like much more intentional about like, am I, you know, making the progress I want to make? Uh, like learning the guitar, for example, or another example, I guess, would be, uh, so since you like to talk about like habit forming and mm -hmm. structure in your day, like I think my ability to go and 
uh, actually like impose that structure and track that structure and make sure I'm doing more. Like, so some examples in my life would be like, okay, I'm going to run this many miles a week. Right. And like really like figure out uh, how I can do that. And this is like, you know, it's not intellectual learning, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, how do I get my day to be like this? How do I do all these things? Like, I just find that the the success of implementing this in my life is so much higher than it would have been when I was a teenager. And some of this is I have more control over my life, but I also feel that the uh, attention and like kind of insistence on getting it right is higher, actually. I see. Um, So another thing, I guess, to touch on that is as I've gotten older, um, one thing that I, I realized like things actually have gotten easy, a little quote unquote easier, right? To, to learn mostly because I feel like I have 30 years of context the 30 years of compounded like experiences to build on in terms of um, like even things like running or th- like learning new things. Um, like, you know, like I know physics now, I know like basic mechanics, right? And it's like, okay, like obviously things should be more efficient just because I know how like this works and you can build on that that body of knowledge to be better at things in a shorter period of time. Um, so uh, like any new thing, what I try to do is make connections or make um, uh, analogies or like, are there pieces of information in which I know and I know uh, already that I sort of quote-unquote learned, right? And can I pull this into a new structure or pull this into a new, like, connection and where I can just, like, supercharge my learning, essentially, right? In terms of, like, okay, um, you know, uh, can I can I use this to, like, just leverage, right, experience and age to learn something faster? And I think some things we do naturally in terms of like we're doing it like subconsciously like without even even noticing um but other things like i think uh like you have to pull out and make a conscious effort to to do that um uh and so um i wonder like it it is sort of this um like compounding effect i i feel like at least a little bit in terms of like um trying in learning new things when you get older um which is why I, I got into this like argument I think with like uh, uh, my sister a while back in terms of when like they're saying like oh it's like a lot easier for like children to learn like languages because uh, various reasons I think like plasticity of the mind uh, but I'm like yeah but shouldn't it be easier for like an adult because like you just are aware of like learning structures right like you know the best way to learn things um and so like like you know shouldn't you be able to learn like a new language like in a much shorter period of time because like you understand grammar right you understand like how set things are formed and you can reason about a little bit more logically Mm -hmm. um and so like you should be able to learn it much quicker so uh you know this but our listeners don't know this I so for Mandarin, I started watching like Disney shows in Mandarin, and uh, or or a couple other like animated kid shows because the vocabulary is much more limited. Uh, but there's other things about it that are actually I think like still useful even though I'm an adult, which are like um, the the they tend to okay well so for one repetition like repetition is a cornerstone of of learning, 
Uh, and if you think about how kids are taught or interacted with, they're, they're just heavily, heavily repetitious, right? Uh, like, have you ever seen, so like, have you ever seen a kid and you're like, hey, what do you want to eat or whatever? They're just like, spaghetti again, right? And then uh, the same thing, like, oh, I want like, I want to read the same book again, right? And, and so there's actually potentially like just because of, um, and maybe this is because they want to learn. I don't know. Like that's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, they they tend to enjoy the same things, but that gets like reinforced perhaps at a much deeper level than you wouldn't as an adult. And a huge component is how much time you have to reinforce that repetition, right? So like their whole day is like in kindergarten and they go do the ABCs again and then they do this other thing again and again and again and you can imagine like if you were an adult and that was your structure it would just be like insane right uh or not <laughs> and um so so like, like what occurs to me is just like the fraction of time that adults spend trying to learn it compared to the kids right is it's just like not even remotely close uh, and so, um, but as, when I like, um, <laughs> okay, so I was listening to uh, the Disney's Moana soundtrack in Mandarin because they had videos that had the characters, the translation, and there's something called Pinyin, which helps you with the pronunciation, uh, overlaid on top of it. But what I noticed is, uh, so for example, in songs, there is a lot of repetition by itself. Uh, there is um, not only uh, like exact repetition, but there's kind of symmetry in songs, right? So components and phrases are reused over and over again. Uh, in fact, they even pointed out that there was like a homophone in Mandarin that they slipped in, you know, so there's like all these different ways that words and sounds connect. Uh, that you naturally get in the form of a, a song like that. And I think that for me, uh, think some things did like noticeably click that wouldn't have otherwise if I'm just going through, you know, uh, flashcard one through a hundred and uh, there's there's no, it's, it's just spaced repetition basically. Mm -hmm. There's no kind of, uh, connections or patterns or repetitions that uh, occur like this in a song. Uh, and I, I found it, I think I found it, you know, helpful. Like you maybe like watch it a couple times and then you like end up singing it in your head by accident. You're like, oh, now I kind of know that phrase for some reason, right? So... Um, without, you know, spending your life studying children and adults and how they learn, but... Um, I don't, I think I react poorly to the concept that people who are older can't learn things. Um, I will add one more thing that you didn't ask for, but uh, I do think that later in life, people do somewhat become resistant to learning. And it's because they don't want to put in the time and energy into it. And that is a separate problem. Um, I'll get to that. It's really funny because my computer stopped in the middle of your oh no <laughs> in your so monologue good. because it gave me this message that said disk too slow oh no <laughs> which is which is weird um, actually uh, but so uh, we're not recording well we were and then I I, it, I had to restart it um, well good luck editing that.
I do think that there's a component uh, where people, as they get older and older, they do get uh, more entrenched in their habits, and then you can be resistant to learning just because you don't want to spend the time or energy. Uh, and I think that's different than their ability to learn. Yeah, I mean, I think that is um, actually the biggest impediment to, to my learning new things in terms of... Uh, Sometimes I have to rediscover my ability to learn things. Um, one, I think there's this this um, uh, initial hump, right, in terms of, like, is this even learnable? Like, am I even capable of learning this? Um, maybe you don't feel this because you're superhuman. But <laughs> Well, my inner Mac yeah. tells me uh, that there's a lot of stuff I'm like, no, I think you can do it, right? Like, a lot of people think they can't, but you really can. It, it's just... Are you willing to put in the effort? Yeah. And and you're not going to be the best person ever at this, right? Just accept that, you know, there's a huge difference between being the best at something and being able to do it reasonably, right? And I think a lot of people conflate those as well. Um, I think that, uh, one, actually, for me personally, I think one of the biggest hurdles is knowing whether or not something should be doable or not, or like impossible or not. Well, and I think I bring this, I, I think I've told you about this example before in terms of like, like um, I forget who it was, right? It was like some, someone famous, some famous mathematician, right? He like showed up to like class at Berkeley or something. He showed up late and the professor had written down like, like a problem on the board that um, was previously like unsolved and he thought it was just like a homework question. So, like, he went back home, and, like, a few weeks later, he, like, turns in, like, what he thought was homework, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, like, this was, um, uh, sorry, this is, like, overdue, I just had a really hard time with it, and the professor's like, actually, this is, like, an unsolved, like, problem, but I think it, it, it's, it's used over and over to illustrate the point that, like, okay, um, like, how capable, like, uh, the human mind is, but I also think it is the opposite in terms of, like, how restricting um, thinking that something is not possible is, right? Or something that, like, I think either restricting or this, like, pressure, right, to think that, okay, I have to, uh, this is, like, not done and not doable, and, like, there's this, like, artificial limit. So I, I, I've discovered a couple of things about myself, including one of the things I enjoy doing is things that are perceived as not possible, uh, and I find it very rewarding to demonstrate that it is. And part of this is my contrarian nature, mm-hmm. uh, but part of it is it is like actually super rewarding to do. And uh, I I went to a uh, my mom got me like a gift card to a uh, print making class. Uh, it was like old uh, like early nineteen hundred style block like movable print. Uh, and when we did the thing, the, the instructor was basically like, okay, we're going to all print a quote. And I was like, okay, what am I going to go find? Uh, and this is what I, I found when I was looking at its virtual quotes, but I actually really, really like it now, which it's from Nelson Mandela. And he was basically saying, it's always impossible until it's done, right? Like, a lot of things people just won't believe are possible, but obviously by demonstrating it, you know that it is true. And... Um, 
so anyways, I, I, and I'm not someone who thinks you should just go like crazy swing for the fence things, period, mm-hmm. right? I think uh, we're really bad at estimating what is possible and what is not possible. Uh, so I think like on the totally other side of the spectrum, there's things which I, I find myself more, like way more skeptical than other people about. And I, I guess I haven't like necessarily proved myself wrong, but um like, I mean, like, very, very, very big things, right? So, like, when I read, like, science fiction, there's, like, all these concepts about things being possible. Like, um, you know, I guess a good example is, like, alien contact, right? And there's a lot of people who say, well, how could it not happen? I'm like, I don't know. It just, like, it's just possibly doesn't exist. I, or we just, like, possibly won't find out in a lifetime or a, a time frame that matters. Um, so I'm not, I'm not just, like, a, a you know complete optimist or possibilitist, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I do think that um, uh, you, you, that we, we also yeah, add artificial barriers to ourselves. Yeah, and I think a little bit um, to add to your point is um, pushing yourself to... Um, it's that delta, right? It's like you're here at this point and you want to be at this point plus one, right? And knowing, I think there's that barrier, right? In terms of like knowing that you can like go beyond that point and what's possible. And you always have to be continually pushing yourself uh, to that point. So like, I'm really glad you've committed to running a half marathon later this year with us. Have I? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, It's on air. Mike Chow, uh, 2019, the year of the half marathon. Because I think that's a really good example of something that a lot of people think they could never, like, for example, run a marathon. Like, to me, I've run a half marathon. Running a marathon seems insane still. Uh, Do I believe I could possibly do it if I put my mind to it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, But it does seem very difficult. Um, uh, But I, I think when you go and you start training... Uh, the you will become a like believer essentially through the process of incremental improvement, right? And it's not like oh you're gonna have like this breakthrough all of a sudden where you can run a marathon and you only ran two miles before, but you will you'll basically figure out how you can improve over time and eventually you get there. Uh, and a lot of people just see the entire challenge as insurmountable where 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 it is not. See, I think I can run the half marathons, whether or not I want to. Well, that's complete. That's completely, I guess, different. And I, again, I. Uh, so the other thing I was gonna say is uh, something else I've learned about myself is I like really enjoy when. Um, so one, I found I've really enjoyed things that I was not good at that I want to learn how to do. So running is a good example. Like I was never good at running and I'm not great at running, but I can now run. And I, I've somehow later in my life discovered that I really enjoy finding these things that I was not good and then proving to myself that I can actually do it. And it's like extremely rewarding once I've started doing that. So that's one of them. I think another one, like language is, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, not there, but that's another one where it's not quite like a phobia, but it's like, yeah, I was never really good at that. And I kind of, so, uh, this is something that I, uh, have a different opinion than a lot of people do, which is some people are like, you should do what you're good at and only (laughs) that and anything else just kind of discard. And I've personally found it rewarding to, uh, find the things that I like weaknesses and Mm -hmm. like take them on. Yeah. And, 
there's not not to, like I still think my strengths still far exceed my uh, improved weaknesses. Yeah. But I find it so rewarding to like actually like overcome those weaknesses and to like prove to myself I can do it, and also to just like even be in the like remote ballpark with other people on those. Um, and then uh, the other thing I had thought about before this, which I think uh, is I find interesting, I think uh, at a certain point in life, learning like you can mix these together, learning or self improvement. Uh, a lot of it requires taking a very hard look at yourself and like really like, like looking in the mirror and be like, okay, like what is the thing that I'm doing wrong? And I find that a lot of people really become uncomfortable doing that. Right. It's, it's very difficult, but if you can really, and I, there's times I just don't want to do it. Like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want like, there's like a very mm -hmm. like visceral reaction, but I find that if people can do, really do it mm -hmm. right then uh, you can, like, gain a lot of power f from this. And so um, I find this very interesting. I don't know how many people, like, I think it's just so much easier to just be like, no, I'm good at these things. Like, leave this over here. I don't yeah. want to look at it. Like, put it, put it in the box <laughs> and put it over here kind of thing. Um, and I think, but it's, it's, like, so powerful if you can force yourself to do it. Yeah, that's, um, it, that reminded me of... Uh, I know this is a little bit controversial, but um, the Malcolm Gladwell's like ten thousand hour rule, mm -hmm. um, which some people are like, yeah, it's not real. Do you want to tell our listeners what this is? It uh, is. Uh, I, I I'm sure there's more nuance to this than what I'm gonna describe, but um, it's uh, it, it takes a, a master of a skill like ten thousand hours of uh, uh, practice, hard practice, um, to become a master at the skill. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's how I. Summarize it. Yeah. So, um, but I think the one the one thing um, that's important about that, and I think there's this one example that's like stuck in my head, which is like uh, uh, professional race car drivers. Um, he's like, you know, most people actually log like 10,000 hours of driving in their lifetime, but they're not a professional race car driver. And why is that? Um, and the the one thing um, that he points out is uh, feedback. Like, and I think that um, from the various books I've read over the year, the one thing that they always constantly point out is um, feedback is the most important thing to learn and improve on a skill. And the faster you get that feedback, the faster you can learn at something. Um, so this is actually one of the hacks or whatever that people usually prescribe is like, get a way uh, to get faster feedback. And that'll be like a really um, important thing to for learning faster. Um, this is sort of on your point in terms of like being able to accept feedback, right? In terms of... So I, that's interesting. I, I, yes, I agree with you, but I also see a subtle difference. Um, uh, so, so I think intentionality of using it mm -hmm. and, and, and doing it correct after that is also part of it. Like, so you can get the feedback, right. but what you do with it is not always the same. I agree. I think I kind of lumped that in in terms of like you have to get the feedback and then and then you yeah. actually like in your practice yeah. like use that incorporate that feedback to get better. Yeah. No, so yeah. you could get for example you could get like really like I don't know mind opening like feedback later, but it could depending on it how it's received it could have a bigger impact, right? So you know you can imagine some friend you've had for five years and they're like. 
do you know that you like always yell at us like in public mm-hmm. and you just were like totally unaware you're like what and it just like hits you and then like it's this big transformative moment right whereas you know let's say you you do that and right away they're like hey like shut up mike like you mm-hmm. know and you're yeah. like, eh, whatever and it bounces off um and, and 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 not only that but then like you have to like absorb it and then like commit that you're like oh in the moment I'm realizing I'm doing this and I'm going to try now actively to change it. Right. You need that whole package. Yes. Right. That's that, that I think it's, it's, uh, I just think it's a little bit oversimplistic to just look at the, the real time part of the feedback. Um, and, and that's kind of what I mean by like, kind of like if people like are able to really like look in the mirror and like really commit to that change that I think is the power, like the whole thing yeah. is the, is the powerful part just to, to, to nitpick a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so, um, and, you know, you can see this, for example, like if it, this is probably something I'm not done super well, let's say with running, mm-hmm. right. Is like, I'm not, uh, so like form in mm-hmm. exercise is a big deal. Right. And I, I definitely spent a lot more time kind of just grinding out mileage just to get used to it. And, you know, and that was useful. Yeah. But, you know, probably if I had a running coach and I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to run one mile correctly before I run three miles poorly. Uh, maybe this is why I tore my meniscus. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's a difference and it's really, really hard the other way. But it's very, very powerful. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things um, that could be really important is... Um, when you think about when I, when you said running is what I think about, and I don't know, uh, probably there are multiple companies working on this, but um, fast feedback in terms of like a kinesiology, right? In terms of like why isn't there something where you can just take your phone, like place it next to the treadmill, um, have it like watch you run, um, you know, add some infrared or whatever, like break down exactly like what you're doing wrong um, um, in terms of like your running form, maybe, you know, your, uh, you you can imagine like a a world where like what sensors do you need to build to know that like your, 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 the tension in your muscles is, is wrong causing like, you know, uh, tension say on like your meniscus or tension on whatever joints and to give you that feedback to be like, before you develop like bad running habits, right. And to be like, Hey, you need to adjust this. Um, it's so interesting, though, because to use the same analogy, in the exercise world, mm-hmm. I feel like almost every attempt to create machinery to help you exercise is worse, right? So you go to, like, if you go to the gym mm-hmm. and you use, like, um, you know, uh, like a leg press or, like, a lat pull-down bar or, like, any of these things or a treadmill... It, it, it if you ask someone who's really you know into like weight, weight training yeah. or into running or whatever if this is the right way they would say no you should just go run or you should use a barbell a free yeah. barbell or something like this like that is actually uh, and I know it's different because there's not quite this feedback but it's just so interesting because uh, as we like try to mechanize it it actually becomes counterproductive and so I I, I think yes some kind of feedback is, is useful. And, and then like the kind of the pure form is like a coach who really understands the problem. Right. And it's just, there's, there's a huge gap obviously. Um, but I'm also, there's just something that I, this, this is where I have a little bit of doubt. Right. Uh, and, and compared to like what you, your, your own internal 
ability to to, to understand and, and focus is the most important still. Maybe. I don't know. I, I view this world, I'm actually pretty optimistic in this space in terms of, I, I think it, it's a really exciting space in terms of one, we ha- we're coming out with all these like uh, technological like sensors to like first get information, but then we also need like a bunch of like specialists, specialists, right? A few who can interpret that information to give that, that feedback. And so I, I find this this is a really interesting topic, right? And and I, I would co- I just had a piece, a couple pieces of data, uh, right? So so one is like I don't know I think probably the 1980s like this totally took off like exercising took off and there were stairmasters mm-hmm. and all these different things that had you know blinky lights and displays and would tell you exactly how many stairs you've climbed or. Uh, I was just telling some. Uh, I was talking to Vivek about uh, my dad got at a garage sale one of the really early rowing machines, mm-hmm. uh, and it had an electronic display with these like really really lame stick figures you yeah. row against, and it would kind of try and get you to you know go against them. And I was kind of comparing it to uh, uh, this rower I used recently, which has like actual water you pull right. against, and just the experience was was so much better. Um, but but my point is like again like clearly technologically there's just a huge huge gap but i don't know that these machines like adding this even at the basic levels like most things i guess think about this way like most things you feel like you would get a lot of the benefit from the simple thing and then you would refine it and it, it, you know you'd have diminishing returns but it would be marginally better uh, whereas i just don't i don't know if i believe we like even it's kind of weird that we'd have to get it to this this like ridiculous level of intelligence or quality to actually see this because I don't think we have seen this improvement, right? Like I don't think that uh, like so, some so, so some simple feedback mm-hmm. is useful. Like okay, how many strokes per minute are you doing? How many watts yeah. are you generating? But just I like, haven't seen any benefit past that really, um, and so I'm skeptical, right? Well, like what you know? Do you think that like I think of this as like. A PT, right? Okay. You don't think so. You can. I think of this as like you can imagine like after each each session of like your gym, you go like a PT just like breaks down like, hey, like you're actually like imbalanced on this exercise because like here's look at look at what your muscles were doing. You weren't actually like fully leveraging like this. And I'll bring this back to like the realm of professional sports in terms of like, um, you look at say like baseball pitchers like nowadays versus like back like. 40 years ago, the, the, the role of like technology and modern medicine is playing, um, is like totally different, right? In terms of like, you have, you have like high speed cameras, like breaking down like major league pitchers, like mechanics and how they're throwing. And they're like, Hey, actually like your throwing motion is going to lead to say like, you're putting like too much strain on like this part of your elbow. So you actually have to like, you know, place your foot here and then they'll, they'll work on them to improve their motion, um, to get to that point. Right. Yeah, and, no, I see what you're saying. And so I went to, like, a physical therapist mm-hmm. uh, who analyzed how I put pressure on the floor. And he has, like, a sensor pad, and that helps them uh, look at that. So I, I can see – but the thing is that he he is interpreting it. And they're all just signals that they then synthesize, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have a Garmin watch. Sure. I don't. I have a Garmin watch. I don't know if you've like gone and looked at the data from your runs and then actually tried to derive 
meaning from all these things we're collecting, but it's actually pretty difficult, right? Like, you know, they know your your age and your height and your weight, and, and then it's like, this is how many steps per minute you're taking, and this is your heart rate and all these things, and then you go talk to, like, an expert runner, and they're like, yeah, that, that may be right, it may be not. Like, it actually doesn't matter. And so, you know, part of it, okay, they're, like, measuring the wrong things, and we could do a better job mm-hmm. and, and, and all this, but... Um, again, this comes to my point of like, how does it ever like reach this level that we abstractly aspire to where it's like improving you in the same, in the same way that we're describing. And that's where I become skeptical, right? It's like, yes, you can go and pick off pieces of this and you can do things, you know, pieces of this, but I'm kind of skeptical. There's going to be like this Oracle coach that, that emerges from this, this data. So I will make the analogy to... Uh, computer programs Okay. in terms of like if you have this program and you uh, look at the whatever output it says say, like hello world right I will say like that's like the pulse that you're trying to get like, I'm going to compare, compare this to the pulse right and if you're trying to figure out information as like okay like what um, what's the location of what's the memory location of hello world that it was printed out you're going to have no idea because that doesn't that's not the right like sensor whereas if you had like gdb or something right you'd be able to figure out exactly where in memory you were you'd be able to put like a breakpoint mm-hmm. and do that sort of debugging right mm-hmm. what i'm saying is i don't think we're, we're anywhere near the point where we can do that type of debugging on the human body right but i think we can and once we do get that information like once it, imagine you can like <laughs> deterministically replay the motions of your body sure. and figure out what, uh, uh, what uh, uh, like, st- certain strains you're putting on, like, certain joints, right? And then you could go in and debug to be like, okay, if you actually moved your muscle in this other manner, you would actually be putting less pressure on your joints, which we can do. Like, we've solved, like, mechanics, the world of, like, physics mechanics. That's what your body is, right? It's just mapping it out, right? It's just drawing a force diagram. Um, so now it's like, okay, can we provide the sensor? Can we get the data to derive that force diagram and then do the mechanics for each person, like do that math to, to figure out the right plan to like derive that feedback back to the body. Um, yeah. And I, I totally like, you know, I'm an engineer. I totally understand the, the possibility at like each of these levels of abstraction. However, um, I, I also want to see something that, you know, pushes me there. And again, it's so funny because, you know, I said, like, I, I like the, the kind of challenges that are perceived as not possible, but then turn out to be. Yet I, I have a hard time uh, seeing it. And I also see a lot of um, counterexamples where things are uh, advertised as so much better than they actually are, and then you look at it, it, it you kind of look at it in the mirror, yeah, uh, and you're like, hmm, this is what this actually is, yeah, right. And uh, there's a huge gap, and then you fun- suddenly realize the complexity of the issue, mm-hmm. and you realize how oversimplifying we've tried to make a problem, and that's I think where my doubt comes in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so, but I think that's a little bit less of, um, it is, it's not like it's not possible, it's 
it, it's a little bit, uh, is it possible at a mass market? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then, uh, yeah, the cost, mm-hmm. the variety of use case, once you start talking about people, the the actual, like, people are, the, you know, biologically, sure. functionally the same, but yet so different uh, in so many different ways. Um, and, and, and so the, the thing about, like, software or machinery is it's really good at doing something specific really, really well and efficiently. But, uh, he, you know, he, I mean, this is kind of like a very classic, like we're getting mm-hmm. into like a classic philosophical AI debate, basically. Uh, but, you know, uh, humans are in some ways better at, um, sometimes are better at like identifying the need for a change and how to figure out what that change is and like act on that, not just do the same thing over and over again, right? And so my experience with software is that uh, I make a joke a lot that, you know, software is really good at doing the the same dumb thing over and over and over again and just like won't deviate from that generally, Mm -hmm. right? And, and, you know, like it will fail in catastrophic ways because it can't just make like a simple change that is so obviously necessary to like a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to software, it just has no idea. And yes, you can construct kind of like an elaborate hypothetical like computer learning system that would then find that thing too, right? But it, yeah. again, it just, I haven't seen it in a way that's manageable and, and, and robust in the way that like human thought processes. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I agree. I think at the, the broader point I'm just trying to make is that I think that we are coming into a point where we are learning new ways to debug the human body. Um, How much of, so, uh, okay, yeah, well, I'm curious to hear about that, but let's back back up one more second. How much of the advances technologically do you think are um, the ability for an algorithm or the, 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 you know, the sophistication of of learning, these learning things uh, increasing? And how much do you think of it as our ability to just gather the data in the first place the latter i think a lot of our algorithms are dumb i think a lot of a lot of a lot of software is dumb and it's just the broader applicability applicability of software in which is where we're getting uh most of our our gains basically automation yeah yeah because part of it is like um uh so so machine learning algorithms obviously like great like vastly benefit from a huge input Mm -hmm. of data but at the same time, if you yourself, a human, want to, like, let's say, run queries against it and just get the data in and do whatever you wanted to look at it, that has, like, grossly increased as well, right? So so just be the ability to just... So let me, like, here's a really dumb, simple example is lots of people at the gym, they just, like, set up their iPhone and they take a video mm-hmm. of themselves doing some exercise. Yeah. And that is already, like, immensely powerful. Right. And perhaps, like, again, like, if... You know, if you if you if you had to force me to pick between that and a machine learning algorithm to help someone like you know increase one of their like lifts or something, right. I'm picking the video, right? But yeah. the, a lot of the advancement actually uh, the, the 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 foundation's the same, but the application is different. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, okay, you can take that video of yourself and then, like, say, take a video of yourself running on a treadmill, bring it to your PT, and then he can give you yeah. that feedback. Yeah. Imagine if you could do other things. Like, that. that's one thing, right? Video, right? But even imagine, like, um, when... Uh, I think the people are already doing this, right? If you wear your, your Apple Watch or your yeah. Garmin Watch, right? You could have your, your heart rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. And how accurate it is, right? But they've, you know, can potentially diagnose some, you know, I think whatever they say. I, yeah, I'm not sure how yeah. much I buy of that. Yeah, but I don't know how much I buy of that I, But either. I guess the argument is mostly just like the availability yep. of, of some technology that's good at gathering data yep. that could be then used but, but here's in the, the broader thing, context. Again, is that, uh, so when I go running, like yeah. one thing I found really useful for me to be able to run longer was to keep my heart rate at a mm -hmm. steady limit sure. or below a limit. I know I've <laughs> recommended this to you a million times. Uh, and so, like, yes, it is very powerful that I can look at my watch and see this feedback, like, very clearly and then, like, build that into my run. But it's very simple, right? Yeah. The actual loop is just incredibly simple. Yeah. And so I guess I the part I'm, like, reacting to less positively is the you're going to, like, point your phone at yourself while you're on a treadmill and it's going to create, like, a, you know... Uh, augmented reality model of your body that understands how all the forces in your joints are going to work together mm -hmm. and then it's going to suggest to you that you should like you know use your left abductor a little bit less um, and and again I, I actually like as an engineer I see how all of this could be done yeah right and could have benefit yeah. but again there's just I have this doubt and it's just based on just experience um of, of the complexity of these things um and I could I I like you know it like the optimistic side of me hopes I'm wrong yeah uh, but I just have this lingering doubt well I mean I I'm not saying it's gonna happen overnight I sure. think it is um I mean it takes time to get yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it takes time to uh, fully engineer a complex solution, right? Yeah, and I wonder if some of that has to do with our appetite, like, in a ca like capitalist world, for to stick with products of that complexity and the problems of that complexity. And so the, the like, time to market for something, uh, like, uh, something of that type of solution, mm -hmm. like, the, first of all, there's just, like, immense pressure to get out a ver an MVP, right? Yeah. So, like, what can we sell in, like, a realistic time frame? And that solution itself is always kind of, you know, there's something at a marketing level that's impressive, but it's not robust. And then if... You know, if that doesn't like succeed, that like more robust solution may never see the light of day, right? And so there's yeah. so many things that perhaps have not been built because of how, uh, you know, engineering. There, there's a denominator, right? There's the cost yeah. on uh, underneath everything, and uh, you know, I don't know. On the other hand, you could also look to inspiration from. There are projects that people have just thrown money at, right? And how much, like, do you think that they have gotten to that level of uh, advancement? Um, I think, I think this is a big topic. Yeah. Um, but I think by nature, the capitalistic uh, market means that a lot of products iterate um, through various cycles. 
um, where, yeah, you can imagine if you sat down, like what it would look like in, if you, like a perfect, right? It take forever the perfect, to engineer a perfect device. I mean, you can imagine like the smartphone even, right? In terms of like, think of how many technologies it had to come together um, to make this perfect, mm-hmm. as opposed to coming out with an MVP that wasn't the perfect, the ideal solution. Um, but oh, such a such an interesting one, though, right? Oh. Because uh, so, so for one, uh, I mean, yeah, you opened up a can of worms here. Yeah, like <laughs> the iPhone, right? It was like both, like it, like they did it. Right, mm-hmm. they like actually like did, like that is like the perfect product for some large period of time, let's say. Yeah, uh, and clearly so much better than uh, Blackberries or the things before them. But uh, it, it like our iPhone now is so much slicker. Yeah, but it really hasn't fundamentally advanced. Right. right? And, like, this is one of the things that they're running into is, like, what is Apple going to add to the dang phone that's going to make you buy it more, right? Like, how much bigger can they make the screen? How much lighter can they make it? How many more megapixels can they can they pack in? Um, so, like, I, I agree with you, but also, like, is it able to, like, reach this higher level of, of advancement or not? Yeah, but maybe take a look at, um, like, 40 years ago, what... Like self one one the introduction of a, of a cell phone, but then also things like improvements on like well yeah you have like two hundred fifty six gigs of, of of flash on here right like advancements like Moore's law right um, uh, fast cellular networks which you know took time to build that infrastructure on uh, camera yeah. right which so, is insane it's like uh, it's like almost a perfect mix of like the last forty years of like technology. So this is interesting because I uh, I was at a conference on computer architecture. And they brought in speakers to talk about the future of a bunch of different things. And there was an expert from Carnegie Mellon who focuses on uh, image and video processing. And, uh, for example, they had some student, um, hopefully I'm not butchering someone's research, (laughs) going to give it my best shot. So they basically had the student wear like a video camera like throughout their entire day, every day for something like... 90 days and like yeah only only a grad student can you get to sign up for this and and i'm sure there's like all these kind of legal uh hurdles otherwise um but, but basically just looking at the video they were able to predict where they would go given a like a given a point in the video right like they basically learned his routine mm-hmm. and they're like oh he's turning left right yeah um and but so that was just the the example, but the weird thing that the professor said is, yeah, like, you know, so, f- you know, researchers always want these really complicated, like, solutions. Uh, this other professor I like, he's like, you know, we crave complexity as academics, yeah. even though, like, it may not be useful. And uh, what was weird, he's like, yeah, like, we did all these fancy things to get this to work, and da-da-da-da. But he's like, if you could just actually increase my, like, computing power like the bits per second i can compute by like you know this much and it was a lot you know like 50x he's like i don't need any of this this is like gone like just give me raw processing and i don't have to do any of this stuff anymore 
And um, I find that really interesting, right? And it kind of comes, like, this folds back into mm -hmm. the pieces of the conversation we've had about, you know, it's kind of, is it is it the... Is it the sophistication of like the, the the structural physical model of your bones and all these things, or like how much can you get just from like the fact that you can get high definition video on your phone recorded and just play it back and look at it as a person and understand it and like which of these really gives you more leverage in the end? I uh, I don't know. I think it depends. Yeah. Right? Well, I think current currently. Yeah. I think the video. Yeah. No. Absolutely. What we don't know is. Can you generate some algorithm or intelligence that can diagnose it at this level that you're talking about? And that's an unknown. I think that's the next frontier. Yeah. That's like pushing. That's that. That's, that's what we think. We don't know. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's curious, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and we'll see. Uh, you know, we will see if we're, you know, uh, able to do that. There, there's so many of these, these things. Um, and... Uh, um, did you, did you ever learn about, in physics, we learned about this thing called like skeptic magazine or something or something. And, and so like, you know, my, my physics teacher was really into approaching things like as a skeptic and not like as a cynic, but as a skeptic mm -hmm. and maybe that's stuck or something, you know, I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I just kind of look at an optimistic skeptic is how I feel about myself, right? I'm like, yes, I want to, like, there's certain things I want to be possible and I think people should push past, but also there's other things where, you know, there's, there's the, the, you have to look a little bit closer. So every week we like to uh, talk about one new experience we did uh, in the previous week before. Um, so... Uh, I can go first. Okay. I'll let you um, think about one new thing that you did. Um, so one new thing that I did this week. Ooh. I, ha I have one. And it's not just this Actually, week, and you know about sure. this. But uh, so I was so impressed by Mike getting up in the morning and going and exercising uh, that, of course, I had to try and one-up him. And so I, <laughs> I tried to get, I, I had like nine days straight, I got up at 7am and, and went and try and exercise in the morning consistently. I didn't try and go like crazy, but I'm like, I'm going to get up, I'm going to do it uh, often, like, um, you know, do a combination of exercises and, and some like mobility stretching and things like this. Uh, and uh, I found it very interesting. This I will connect it to the other part of the conversation. I mean, this is like something kind of like novel and like something I didn't necessarily think I would do otherwise that I then proved to myself I can do. Not a morning person. Uh, and I found it very rewarding in that sense. And uh, the, the biggest thing I, the other new part of it is like every night at like 1030, I was like starting to pass out very quickly. So that's my, my new experience. And I'm glad I did it. Oh, wow. So you've joined uh, Mike's crazy exercise cult. Yeah, it's a lot better than other crazy exercise cults that our friends are part of. This one's way better. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, yeah, I uh, in that vein, I guess, I um, went to the New York Sports Club this week. Um, that That's a new experience. I did a one-day free trial there. How long were you at the gym? I was at the gym for three hours. That's insane. <laughs> I obviously set you up, but that is... So much. <laughs> you, I, you know, it was a one-day free trial. I had to try out the facilities. Uh, uh, so you, you got your money's worth. I got my money's worth, which was not nobody, but money's yeah. worth. Um, uh, yeah, and so I was able to uh, lift a lot of heavy weights. 
For three hours. For three hours. I tried to do, uh, uh, well, we, we, me and my friend Mark, we did our um, one rep maxes on the bench, and I failed at mine. Uh, but I will have so to... So you did exactly one rep for your workout and failed? That was it. That was yeah. the three hours. <laughs> um, and failed. <laughs> You tried to do it, it collapsed, and it took you three hours to squirm out under the bar. Is yeah, that that's why yeah, I was okay. stuck there okay. for three hours. Got it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I, uh, am, uh, yeah, so that, that's my new experience. Um, awesome. Yeah, so um, thanks for listening. Um, this uh, is a, uh, Thanks for listening to us ramble for, for so long. Um, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Vanilla Adventure Tarman. I'm probably saying his name wrong. It's okay. He was only your skip manager for a long time. I hope you're enjoying your Porsche. Drive it. Uh, actually, now it is a Tesla X Series with Golf Wing. Doors. Oh, that's right. Yeah, with Golf Wings. Um, so we hope you're zooming around, not polluting the environment, being a generally cool dude. And that he is. <laughs>